TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Back in on the Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. For the first time during the college football, or college basketball season, I should say. Not college football, we're past that. I bring in Kevin Sweeney, who does College Hoops NBA Draft for SI. Uh, also some work from Field of 68. He is on X at CBB underscore Central. Kevin, how's it going, man? Good, man. Appreciate you having me on. Of course. Of course. How's it all been hanging, man? How's uh, how's everything going with uh, sort of SI and um, sort of the transition that, that we've been sort of looking at in the news? Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of a strange situation, obviously. And, uh, you know, our, our long-term futures are all sort of in question. Um, but, you know, our job as of now is to kind of keep, keep things moving, keep doing our jobs to the best of our ability. And right. you know, for me, that means going to a bunch of college basketball games and, and do a thing there. So just yeah. trying to focus on that and we'll deal with the, uh, the future when the future has to be dealt with. Yeah. Regardless of, uh, if it works out, if it doesn't, I know you'll land on your feet somewhere too, too, too good at your job. Now, what, what has your uh, schedule been like traveling? What, what games have you gotten to see lately? Uh, been a little bit everywhere. Uh, last week, the, the big one was the Providence, uh, Providence Georgetown game. That was nuts. Cooley. That, that was yeah, something. Just an unbelievable atmosphere. Um, one of those games that like kind of gives you juice, right? I mean, it wasn't a, wasn't a huge game from the standing standpoint, but to like go in a gym and just feel like that level of intensity. And I mean, that, that's what we do it for. So that was really fun this weekend. Uh, it's a big one, Purdue, Wisconsin, up in Madison for the for the lead in the Big Ten. So well, I'll be there for that one as well. Yeah. Now we're going to talk a lot of Memphis here in just a second, but I want to start in the SEC because there's two teams that are 18 and three that we did not expect to be 18 and three. Uh, we have Lamont, Paris, and South Carolina who've knocked off Kentucky and Tennessee. They're at 18 and three. I think they're second in the SEC right now. And Ole Miss, who's 18 and three, five and three in conference. I want to start with South Carolina. That was a hell of a win on the road against Tennessee. It's about time they get ranked, right? Absolutely. I mean, maybe the biggest surprise in college basketball this season. On paper, this was kind of a strange mismatch of transfers from all sorts of places. Miles Studi, a role player at Vanderbilt. Talon Cooper, a role player at Minnesota. B.J. Mack, a star at Wofford, but a role player before that at South Florida. Like, you're, you're looking at this, like, how is this going to work? And they've just had, you know, some teams just click. and They really have. Michi Johnson's had a huge year. And uh, Lamont Paris is just a lot of credit because – I think a lot of people question that hire, myself included, from day one. He had a really bad year one, dealing with a lot of stuff externally with Gigi Jackson. It was just a really bad situation for him to be in. Uh, and I think has been able to right the ship this year and, and build a really good team. And, and I, I think not only does he belong in the top 25 and whatnot, I think he belongs in the National Player of the Year, or National Coach of the Year, excuse me, conversation for the job he's done so far at South Carolina. Well, we talk about a seed line for them at this particular point. Like, where, what does that look like? I mean, they, they have one of the best records in the country when we're talking about the Power Six um, and, and, and where they stand. Like, what, what would the seed line look like right now when we're talking about bracketology? I think probably in that, like, six to seven range right now. Okay. Um, there's a lot of room to keep moving up, though. I mean, their, their resume is very clean, no real bad losses have now a monster road win at Tennessee, maybe the best individual win anyone has in terms of a road win against the top five team. 
Um, so they've got a chance to really climb here in the next couple of weeks if they keep rolling. Now, Ole Miss, Chris Beard has got it rolling, man. And I listen, I understand like what, how he got hired and the, the vetting process and everything else, uh, but you do sort of have to tip your cap to the, the athletic department over at Ole Miss. They have everything rolling right now, and Chris Beard's part of that. Yeah, I mean, look, I think everyone knew that when Chris Beard took the Ole Miss job, he would win. I don't know that I thought he would be this good this quickly. Um, there's a ton of credit for, you know, they obviously had some kind of high-profile transfer additions, guys like Alan Flanagan and, um, you know, Brandon Murray. But Jalen Murray from St. Peter's, talk about a guy who was not right. even an all-conference player in the MAC. This guy is playing like an all-SEC point guard, 21 points, 11 assists yesterday against Mississippi State. Has just been awesome, and uh, that's what Beard has done everywhere he's been. He's found under-the-radar dudes. He's developed them very quickly. Uh, he's found dudes that he can coach hard and that will get better. Jalen Murray is a great example of that, uh, and they're a tournament team. That, that went over Mississippi State yesterday was huge. How 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 quickly do you think it could be as a, as a turnaround? If like I mean, if this continues for for Chris Beard, how quick do you think he could get another job elsewhere? Um, I wouldn't rule out this cycle. Uh, obviously, right. I think it depends. There will be people. Look, I, I think it will be challenging for him at certain places for the rest of his career. Right, the uh, domestic violence incident a year ago. Even though those charges were eventually dropped, that's going to follow him for a very long time. But look, I mean, he has a lot of ties in the state of Arkansas dating back to his time in Little Rock. Um, there are, is a lot of buzz right now about potentially Eric Musselman hunting for new jobs this off season after a disastrous year at Arkansas. Like. If the Arkansas job opens up, I think Chris Beard should be at the top of the list. And the question is, will he show some loyalty to Ole Miss for taking him on, giving him a chance when not a lot of people would, or will he take a jump at you know maybe a more traditionally great basketball program like in Arkansas or somewhere like that? Now I know you, you bring up Eric Musselman. Like how 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 on the hot seat is he really? I mean, uh, we're talking about a guy who's been to several lead eights since he's been at Arkansas. Um, regardless of what's around him. We know that he does well in the transfer portal. He did well in the transfer portal this offseason, but obviously it's equal 10-10, and 1-6 and six in conference. I mean, do you really think he's, like, in, in real trouble this season? I don't think he's in real trouble. Like, I don't think Arkansas would fire him, um, but I do think there's been enough, there have been enough people around it for me to feel confident in saying that Muff is hunting for exit plans. And, right. you know, part of that, I mean, like, there's a lot of coaches over the years that have just liked to kind of bounce from place to place. Lon Kruger is one of those guys. Um, Buzz Williams, certainly another. Like, I think when you are so demanding like Muss is and everything has to be run to a standard, I think it burns people out very quickly. And, and you're kind of at that life cycle now. Five, six years is year five for him at Arkansas. Like, I think naturally the hope would have been, okay, I can parlay this into something like Louisville or, or, or a true blue blood job, but... You know, I wouldn't be shocked if he took something a little bit less sexy this offseason just to get a fresh start and go out and attack. You know, I think he feels like he can win anywhere. His model is certainly not tied to one region of the country, right? He's going to go out and recruit the best players in the transfer portal wherever he is. So uh, I, I think there's a feeling that he wants a fresh start. Maybe that will change over the next month. But uh, right now, certainly a lot of buzz in uh, in Arkansas that this could be it. Now talking with Kevin Sweeney at CBB underscore Central covering college basketball for SI and for field of 68. Now, um, talk to me about Memphis. <laughs> this, we've gone from in a two week span with three straight losses. They were number 10 in the AP poll. Now they are, you know, on the bubble, quite frankly. And uh, they're sixth in the American Athletic Conference. 
Um, it, it just sort of, I mean, this is truly why Penny Hardaway coach teams don't get the benefit of the doubt, like in, in the grand scheme of things. What what have you seen from that team, and uh, uh, like what what's your hope for them going forward? What th- what's their outlook, um, you know, when it's NCAA tournament time, bracketology, their seed line? What is the outlook for this team right this second after these three straight losses? I think you have to be pretty down on them in just in terms of how they played. I mean, especially when you look at, you know, some of the stuff that's controllable, right? Like, I understand you lost Caleb Mills. Like, there have been, you know, guys in and out. It, it, it happens. But, like, there's no excuse for giving up 16 offensive rebounds and turning the ball over 22 times against UAB. Like, right. you do not win any basketball games when you play that way. And, look, this is an old team, right? This is guys who played a ton of college basketball. Javon Quinterly has been playing college basketball since I was – damn near in high school. Like, like this guy, this guy has been through the wars and like, these guys are still making mistakes. And at some point that, that falls on coaching. Um, they have not played well really for, for most of a month. Um, you know, these three losses, obviously coming in succession have brought the attention to it. But I think, you know, we would both agree that even before that there were, there were some cracks in the armor. So, um, they've got to turn it quick. I mean, the good, the good thing is they've got a lot of winnable games on the schedule. The bad thing is They've got a lot of potential bad losses on the schedule if they don't they don't shape up. But I think the thing that's concerning to me is, you know, I feel like most Memphis teams on their penny have gotten better as the season have gone on. They've started to kind of find their stride. This is the time where it better turn. And right now, it feels like they're they're turning in the wrong direction. But it's backwards, right? Like the last two years, it's sort of been slower starts, and then they start peaking yep. in February and March. This is they started incredibly fast. And maybe we could we could talk about like the actual teams they were playing. You know, Arkansas clearly not good. Michigan clearly not good. Clemson. Uh, you know, uh, you keep going. A and M, um, uh, Virginia, not not that great. Like when you just sort of look at their metrics and where they stand right now, but they started really fast, and it just feels like they have completely hit this lull, and it's hard to hard to get out of this hole now. And it feels like it's just it's team chemistry and everything else at this point. Yeah, look, I think I think sometimes there's a there's a sense that like in college basketball, you can like hit your ceiling and then kind of coast for a bit and then just flip the switch again. Like this isn't the NBA, right? I think in the NBA, there's times where, you know, teams will go into to load management mode and they'll, they'll coast and then they'll, they'll find their stride in the playoffs. I mean, part of that's, you know, you get seven game series to figure things out. Like this, this thing can turn very quick on you. And I think Memphis maybe just kind of rested on laurels a little bit after that incredible start. Um, some of those wins, you know, I think, I think they were overrated, but like those wins are still tough tough games, right? I mean, they deserve credit for winning on the road at A&M. They deserve credit for beating, you know, high-major teams on neutral courts and playing those games. I mean, those, right. those were those were games not everyone wants to play. And I give Penny credit for playing them, but um, at some point, like, it just feels like something has, has shifted mentality-wise with this group um, that, you know, from, from where they were from a, a focus standpoint early in the year, and, and it has to change very quickly. And you would have hoped that you know, two losses would have done that, and a week of practice in UAB would have brought their best performance. So the fact that it didn't is something that really concerns me. Now, going forward, is there any way they can play themselves off the bubble? Like, obviously running the table and beating FAU twice and, you know, at SMU, at North Texas may matter some. But is there any way they can play themselves off the bubble? Yeah, look, I think they're not in, like, truly disastrous shape NCAA tournament-wise yet. Like, I think... Like, they will always be close to putting themselves in trouble just because there's a lot more bad losses out there, right? Like, they could they could roll through, win their next, like, eight games and then lose to East Carolina and UAB at home at the end of the year, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're, we're in trouble again. But I think they could really solidify themselves here if they can win, win their next four. 
um, just avoid any bad losses, and then find a way to basically just split all of these potential quad one games, right? At North Texas could be quad one, at SMU should be, at FAU and potentially home FAU, right? Like, you need those. You need, you need to just find a way to, to win a couple of those and not let your resume, resume get any worse. Um, so just stay, steer clear of the quad threes, steer clear of the quad fours, um, be steady um, in, in those bigger games, and hope you can just find a little bit of your mojo again heading into March. Now, how, how uncomfortable are their metrics? Last thing on Memphis. How uncomfortable are their metrics right now? Of course, they're out of the AP poll. They're in the 60s in Ken Palm and Ned, and they're in the 70s going on 80s in Bart Torvik. How uncomfortable are those at this particular moment? Not great. I mean, there's usually one or two teams that are in that, that range that wind up an at-large team. I will say, um, you know, some of the kind of overlooked numbers, like the resume metrics, which is KPI, uh, strength of record, they're in much better shape there, and those those do have a big big, big um, impact on the committee. They aren't necessarily um, as talked about, right? Everyone talks Ken Palm, everybody talks Net, everyone talks Torvik. Like those, those those other numbers do have a pretty big impact on, especially getting into the field. But those those efficiency metrics are, are a great barometer of how you're playing, and I think. But honestly, they tell the story of where Memphis is right now, which is a team that at best looks like a bubble team in terms of how they're playing. Now talking with Kevin Sweeney at CBB underscore Central, covering college basketball for SI and for Field of 68. Who, who to you right now, like when we look at the top of college basketball, who's the best team in college basketball? Man, UConn's giving me a run, but I, I, I'm sticking with Purdue. I mean, I've kind of been there since the, the opening week of the year and uh, just seeing the growth from Braden Smith at point guard, it just changes their team because obviously they can feed the post. Edie can do Edie things every single night. He can dominate games. But when you think about the teams that have struggled for Purdue in March, they haven't had answers in the backcourt. Um, when teams have come at them with runs, when they made, when, when, when teams have made shots, they've, they've had to go back to the post. And this year they don't have to. They can play through Braden Smith, their star point guard, shoot 44% from three now, top 20 in the country in assist rate. Like, he has been incredible. And, you know, really the one, to me, the best Purdue guard since Carson Edwards. And I know that team came up short, but they went to the Elite Eight and lost Virginia on a prayer. Like, that Purdue team was good enough to win a championship, and they had the combination of, yes, we can pound you on the interior, but we also have great guard play. I think this Purdue team is a lot more like that. Because of that, I think they have a chance to, to really do something special and cut down the net. Now, someone we, we always expect to be there is Kansas and Bill Self, but they've lost two of their last four in conference. Now, they bounce back, beating the – I mean, they beat the hell out of Oklahoma State last night. Um, but what, what do you think about that team? I, I mean, even when I watched them early in the season, um, I think they had a loss to Marquette, and I sort of called that one. Um, but it does not feel like a normal Bill Self team. It's just it operates substantially different than than what you're used to. It's it's obviously Hunter Dickinson. Um, I, I think now El Marco Jackson's finally coming along. But but do you do you have a, a high belief in that team come tournament time? I think it'll be tough to kill because they're a Bill Self team, right? And, and I mean, you look at the wins they have. I mean. It feels like every other week I read something about how the sky's falling at Kansas, and I'm like, well, they did beat Kentucky, and they beat Tennessee, and they beat UConn. Like, they're not bad. Like, they, they've accomplished it done. Um, and, and so because of that, you know, you feel like they can win any game. But they just don't have a ton of pop offensively, right? They have four outstanding players, K.J. Adams, Dewan Harris, Kevin McCullough, Hunter Dickinson. But – you know, certainly Harris and Adams are more defense-first, glue guys, and McCuller was that until this year. I mean, McCuller's whole career, he has been a great defender, a ball handler, a guy who keeps the ball moving. 
he has emerged as a scorer, but like I don't walk into the gym like deathly afraid of Kevin McCullough beating me by scoring thirty. I mean, I just think they felt that all year. Like like if he's gonna if he's gonna if he's gonna outscore us, he's gonna outscore us. And so they don't have a ton of depth. They don't have a ton of like traditional talent in terms of like pros, NBA, you know, first round picks. I do think Johnny Furphy, the freshman from Australia, is really coming along and he could be the X factor that changes their fortunes. But right now, to me they're a team that will get a high seed because they're gonna have a great resume. But I'm not trusting them to make a Final Four or win a championship. Now, with the with the Big Twelve, I saw an interesting statistic about their out of conference strength of schedule. How, I mean, as a as a conference, we always talk about the Big Twelve being the strongest. Do you think they're the strongest? Because their strength of schedule does not necessarily say that. Now, Kansas still sixty one in strength of schedule according to Ken Palm. Um, but next after them, well, you'd have to go all the way to West Virginia at one hundred one. Then it'd be Baylor at one twenty four. Did they? I mean, did they? Did they game the system a little bit when it comes to the their their out of conference schedule and and what they built up in the out of conference? I think they do. Um, you know, they, they play a ton of bye games. Part of that, they play you know eighteen league games. So the the big Big Twelve, the SEC are still on eighteen. Everyone else is up to twenty in terms of the, the high major leagues. That gives that teams you know two extra freebies. But twelve out of the fourteen Big Twelve teams played seven or more bye games. And a lot of those are against the lowest of the low, and that's why you see a lot of non-conference schedules in the high 200s, low 300s. I mean, it's. I think I think that's allowed some of those teams to get the benefit of the doubt longer. I do think the league is really good. I do think that things do tend to work themselves out, right? And 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 you either earn your spot or you don't. But right now, it's very easy to look at me like, well, you know, Cincinnati 14 and six. They have three Big 12 wins. They're top 30 in Ken Palm, like. That's got to be a tournament team. They're like the 11th best team in the league, like, of course. But you really look at who they played, and it's UIC and Detroit Mercy and Northern Kentucky and right. Florida Gulf Coast and Merrimack. Like, the actual substance there is not all that great. So I, I think that's, that's what, we'll, what we'll have to find out with those teams. Their record in, in high-level games is, is unmatched. They, they've, they've won championships in the past. They deserve the benefit of the doubt. But the scheduling has certainly inflated some records and inflated some metrics. Yeah, and Houston looks. I mean, they they transitioned into the Big Twelve. They look damn good still. There was no they, that, that that transition did not mean much to them. They they're still what nineteen and two at this point. Kelvin Sampson. I mean, when we talk about coaches at the top of college basketball, he's got to be right up there with uh, you know top three, top five. I mean, the thing that strikes me with Kelvin is that every year they lose like one or two guys to the pros, elite players at a place that it's not necessarily – it has not traditionally been as easy to acquire talent, and somehow they just keep getting better. I mean, th- this will be year seven in a row where they've been top 20 in Ken Palm, year four in a row where they've been top five. Uh, and through that period, they've lost Marcus Sasser and Jairus Walker. And, right. You know, you, you work your way all the way back to, to Nate Hinton and Rob Gray. Like, they've had so many great players – and it hasn't mattered because of the culture and the style of play, it translates. The defense is so good. Every year there's a new guy that steps up. This year it's Jamal Shedd. Obviously you got LJ Cryer in the portal. He's been great. You know, I don't necessarily buy that they're the best team in the country, like the metrics say that they right. are. But, man, are they good. And, and man, are they hard to score on. They, they are, they are the, one of the best defenses I can ever remember at college basketball in terms of the way that they disrupt you. It's just consistency, man. It's just consistency. It's unbelievable what he's able to do year to year. Now, I want to transition quick to the ACC. North Carolina last year, it was a disaster. Like, I think we can, we can fully, uh, you know, latch ourselves onto that idea. It was just you start as the, the AP number one team in the country and you completely fall off the face of the earth. 
They're number three. Now, I know this is bad timing because they lost to Georgia Tech last night, but, hey, it happens sometimes when you get to this point in the schedule when you're playing these conference games. What has gone right for them this year? Like, what, how have they been able to sort of flip what they did last year into now 17-4, and four, number three in the country? I think the biggest thing is, is fit and role allocation. And Hubert Davis has just done such an incredible job. He, he earned a lot of criticism last year. I think he gets all the credit all the same for, for the success of this team, this team. This team is not more talented than last year's North Carolina team. Uh, and you can see that based on how Caleb Love is playing at Arizona. He's been one of the best players in the country. But when you had two guards who need the ball all the time and aren't great catch-and-shoot players in R.J. Davis and Caleb Love, it bogged down your offense. And when your big portal addition was a guy in Pete Nance who was the best player at Northwestern, was the centerpiece of how they played, and now he's trying to fit into a new role, you're going to hit, hit some snags. And this year's group probably doesn't have his, the same raw talent, but it's freed up R.J. Davis to be R.J. Davis, and he's become one of the best scorers in the country. It's freed up Harrison Ingram, the transfer from Stanford. He, he, he's there to rebound, make threes, and defend. He's good at that. Cormac Ryan, the transfer from Notre Dame, he's a veteran. He's been around great teams. He's been coached by Mike Bray. Like he understands that his role is to shoot, keep the ball moving, be a leader. Freshman point guard Elliot Cadeau has done a great job of being a passer, setting people up, letting R.J. Davis go score. Like They just have an identity this year, and they guard so much better defensively, I think, because they like playing with one another. Right There isn't this frustration and this tension um, that, that, that I think they felt all year long. I think this group genuinely loves playing with each other. They're playing at a super high level. Yes, it happens. You get tripped up on the road like they did yesterday, but I think they've proven themselves to be a legitimate candidate to go to the Final Four. Now, last couple of things for Kevin Sweeney at CBB underscore Central on X. Holler at me about a couple of mid-majors you think could make some runs come tournament time. I think Colorado State's a team that I look at uh, that has, has really fared well against good teams, just came off a win against San Diego State. Of course, Utah State, BYU, FAU, I'll ask you about, about them in a second, but who, who are your teams sort of in that mid-major category that you think could, could really make some noise come March? Yeah, the Mountain West has obviously been a monster. Um, you know, last couple of years getting four bids to the tournament. I think five is realistic this year. Colorado State, you mentioned, has been awesome, but New Mexico might be the most talented group. I mean, you line up New Mexico with, you know, Big 12 teams, and I don't think you say they're under-talented, and I think that's huge. Uh, outside of the Mountain West, like I, I would mention Indiana State, just an incredibly unique style of play. There's a great story out today in The Athletic from C.J. Moore, um, who did, did a great job on a, a story about Josh Shirk, the head coach at Indiana State, who has a really unique backstory, Division II coach for a long time, I fell into basketball a little later in life, and it's just become really a, a kind of an offensive guru. I mean, they are fun to watch. They have like a top 15 offense in the country for Ken Palm. So they're going to be dangerous. And then uh, Grand Canyon and Princeton, two teams we've seen in March the last couple of years, Princeton has a chance to go back, right, you know, win a game again. Grand Canyon, I think, at 19-2 and two for the year. Uh, they're going to be a tough outcome uh, come March as well. One of, the, uh, one of the interesting stories that I don't think people are following, though, with Indiana State, uh, Robbie Avila, their, their, their center, uh, he's 6'10", 240 pounds. He is, I mean, he. I, I've seen some sort of things out there, and I know that you see those posts on social media, and they can go in one ear, out the other, but he's sort of they call him the college basketball version of Jokic. He's, he's fun to watch, man. Not overly athletic, doesn't do anything that, that, that sort of jumps off the page besides the fact that he is just a damn good basketball player, and he knows how to get his, player, his, his, his teammates involved, and he can get himself involved as well. 
no one has passed the eye test less than Robbie Abbott. Like, <laughs> right. Like, 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 quite honestly. He's got the rec like, specs love, and everything else. I, I would love a video camera on Josh Shirts the first time he walked into a gym and was told, yeah, your assistant told you to watch this guy. And he was like, <laughs> what in the world are we doing? Who is this kid? Why? And then you watch him, and like he is kind of college Jokic. He can pass. He can shoot. He has this great, fun-loving personality. Like he, it, he would be an awesome guy to be the face of college basketball this March. Um, and, I, and I hope it happens. Yeah. Now, what's your level of buy-in to Florida Atlantic? This is a team that that you know here in Memphis. We talked about going into the season because they lost to them last year in the tournament. They went on to a Final Four. Um, they're they're still pacing relatively well, but they've lost a couple of bad games. What's your level of buy-in to them this particular time around? Uh, I think it's just been harder for them to stay as connected as they were last season. Like, I don't think it's natural for a team to run it back quite the way that they that this team did. And I think they've really struggled at times with some of the role allocation things that were so good for them last year. Right? Not that not that all the egos have gotten involved. Right? I'm not saying that, but I, I just think it's hard. Like, naturally, everyone has expectations. Everyone's pressing so hard to achieve what they achieved last year without necessarily having the talent to do that, right? Like, FAU is a really good team, but they're not, like, like there's, like, three teams in the country that can do Final Four or bust, and FAU does not have the talent to be among that group. So uh, I give Dusty a lot of credit. They've kind of stayed the course, found a way to get back rolling of one six straight. John L. Davis has played elite basketball lately, right. shooting 48% from three. He gives you a shot. I, I think this team probably feels more like a first or maybe even second weekend team. Like I, I don't know that I see them as pushing for another Final Four, but I do think they're good, and you know, I think they're, they're a tournament-level team, um, you know, but certainly a little bit more vulnerable, I think, than they were a year ago. Now, final thing, I want your true honesty about Gonzaga and where they're at right now as a program in general. Um, it seems like... Um, sort of from the outside looking in, Tommy Lloyd left for Arizona, and it just has not—it has not been the same for Mark View. Um, I, I, I don't think that I'm I'm going out on a limb saying that, but give me your honesty about that Gonzaga program and what you think is going to come in the future. I mean, do you, do you still think they're at that same level, or do you think this is going to be a consistent fall off year to year? Look, I think they're still going to be. Um you know, amongst the national mix, like for, you know, they can be a top 25 team regularly. Like I think this year they have individual problems, right. That has made them a little worse. And also like, I, I think it's funny that like, we've gotten to a point where everyone, we, we all need like a post-mortem on Gonzaga and they're 20th and 10 pom. Like they don't, <laughs> I get it. Um, but like, think that, like, and, and that's not a Christmas either. It's like the big picture. Like how, how crazy is it a level that we have established for Mark Few that like, right. this feels like the big, the big drop. Look, I, I think, it's a few things. It's, it's Tommy Lloyd. It's um, NIL. I think it makes harder for them to, you know, go get a Jalen Suggs or a Chad Holmgren like they did. They really pushed themselves over the top. Uh, I think the international recruiting thing has gotten a lot more competitive. You watch Arizona, obviously, there with Tommy, but also UCLA is very involved. Kentucky went out and got Big Z. Like, it has become a, a big thing nationally, and that was kind of their initial edge. Um, so I think it's, it's all, the, all of the above. And I, I truly think... I think the championship window is closed. Like, I don't think at this point that Mark Few will lead Gonzaga to a national championship. I'd love to be wrong. But I think they're going to settle in more as a very good program. I think their time is being 
a perennial top five team is probably ended. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Because you, th- you think the, the blue blood conversation, I know some people never put them in that blue blood conversation because you have to win a national championship in most people's mind. But do you think that that's sort of over with, like that conversation? Yeah, I think so. I think it's hard. I think I think it's easy when you have a run of success like that to get thrown into that category. I think, like for instance, like Villanova won two championships. Are they a blue blood? Like, right. I don't know under Jay. Like, I, I don't know that they are. I think the the lack of success under Kyle Neptune probably get a good illustration of why they're not. Right. Like, but you can make that case for lots of people. Right. Is Louisville not a blue blood because of Kenny Payne? Like, I, I don't know. I, I I have I have a hard time with a lot of those. I, I would struggle to call Gonzaga blue blood just because I don't think they have quite the same history. But um, this generation of Gonzaga basketball is, without even without a national championship, one of the most impressive builds of, of any in college basketball history. And I think certainly deserves its spot in, in, in the record books, regardless of how it ends. For sure. No question about it. Well, Kevin, I appreciate it, man. We'll do it again soon. Thanks for joining. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Yes, sir. That's Kevin Sweeney covering college hoops, NBA draft, and plenty more for Sports Illustrated. Um, also, he does some work for Field of 68. He is on X at CBB underscore Central. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.